Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Uh, joining me today is Aaron Kenny, MSRDHCP. There's a lot of, lot of letters after her name. Uh, basically, she's a registered dietitian and she's a CEO of Nutrition Rewired. Erin uh, Kenny specializes in eating disorders, gastrointestinal issues, and mental health. Uh, as related to mental health addiction. Um, she uses an integrated nutritional approach uh, for addressing the, the root causes of gastrointestinal issues and eating disorders. And I'm excited to have you on today, uh, Aaron, because, you know, I've read so many articles about how gastrointestinal issues, IBS, uh, is linked to different mood disorders, uh, triggering some and even like a third, like there was a study where like out of a hundred people, a third of them had contemplated suicide. So the fact mm -hmm. that you're not just talking about food, you're also talking about mental health uh, is a discussion that I think more of us need to have. Yeah, well, I'm excited to be on here, Leo, and uh, very passionate about this topic. It's it's something that we have to be talking about because when we talk about providing patients with optimal care, if we're not doing this from a holistic lens, then we're always going to sing, you know, part of that process that gets these individuals to opt mental and physical health. It's it's really crucial. So I'm excited to chat with you today. Thank you. And so can you tell us when you say gastrointestinal issues, can we define what that is for the listeners? Yeah. So when we talk about gut, a lot of people will assume that when we're talking about the gut, we're talking about the stomach. But when we're talking about the gut microbiome, which is really when we're referring to mental health issues, when we're referring to things like autoimmune disease, we're talking about these bacteria that are not necessarily in the stomach, but they're in the lower part of the intestines. And they serve vital functions when it comes to mental health, physical health, um, you know, risk of disease. And these bacteria that live there are incredibly important. Now, when we have issues with the gut, whether it's inflammation, whether it's an imbalance of certain bacteria, whether it's food intolerances, then these types of symptoms can start to show up with individuals. And this can be things like diarrhea, constipation, bloating. But even further beyond that is symptoms like uh, mental health issues. So anxiety, depression, brain fog, um, skin issues like psoriasis and eczema. And then further down the line untreated, we start to see things like autoimmune conditions, um, and, you know, other health conditions that are, are, you know, diagnosable. So gastrointestinal issues will look very different for different people, but they can show up in a variety of ways, one being mental health as well. Yeah, you know, you talked about brain fog, inflammation. I just recently started the keto diet, uh, mm. you know, my version of it. Uh, and I joined a, a sugar and carbs addict group. and uh, I realized how much of sugar was linked to my m mood swings, one, and also my thoughts of suicide, uh, my feelings of, of anger and um, shame and guilt. So, you know, this, this idea of like there's definitely a gut brain um, connection and how it shows up in, in terms of mental health. 
is uh, I, it resonates with me and connects with me on different levels. You mentioned inflammation and you talked about intolerances. What's the difference? Because usually when we have a discussion, we're just talking about uh, what are you allergic to and uh, and what inflames you. But what's the difference between inflammation and intolerance? Yeah. Well, I think it, important to distinguish would be allergy versus intolerance first before I get into it. And, you know, an allergy is when you're having a true, um, you know, antibody related response from, you know, a diagnosable perspective, you have a true allergy to that food where you might have symptoms that are, you know, anaphylaxis that are life threatening, whereas an intolerance you know, that might be your body just, you know, creating some sort of inflammation in response to that food, or it could be causing something like skin issues. So an allergy and intolerance are very different. And an intolerance can develop if you have gut issues. So let's say you have inflammation going on in your gut, that can cause you to be more reactive to certain foods. And I like to explain this um, using the, the example of a small child, right? So if you have a small child and they're really irritable, maybe they you know, didn't sleep well or didn't get their afternoon snack, um, if you ask them to do something, right, they're not gonna do it. They're gonna be very stubborn. They might even end up having you know, like a temper tantrum. Your gut is the same way. If it's inflamed, if it's stressed in any way, anything that you put into that gut is going to be a form of stress because you don't have an optimal environment for the food and the nutrients that we want to be absorbing. Are these gut issues linked to the way we're processing food today or have humanity always struggled with gut issues? Like it, it seems like more and more people have intolerances, inflammation and things of that nature. Um, is it so much about the foods we eat or about how we're handling the food? What have you found? Mm, this is a, that's a great question, actually. And I have a few different theories on that. I think, um, you know, the medications that we have today are, you know, copious amounts of antibiotics, you know, being prescribed left and right. I don't think we are very hesitant to take a probiotic as, as much as we should be. And what happens when you take an antibiotic is that these medications are not selective in the sense that you take them because you want to kill the bad guys. But what happens is, is they go in and they kill the good guys as well. And so countless rounds of these antibiotics can alter your gut microbiome, that, that healthy bacteria that we want in the gut. And over time, that can make you more susceptible to allergies and asthma and autoimmune conditions. And so, you know, medications are definitely a big topic, antibiotics being one, birth control being another. Birth control it does have an impact on the gut microbiome. Research has shown that you have a significantly higher increased risk of having inflammatory bowel disease. So we're talking Crohn's and ulcerative colitis if you're taking this medication. So there's all these medications nowadays that we have on the market that are definitely common in our culture, right? That are being prescribed all the time. So I think that's one piece of this puzzle. I think stress is a huge part of it as well. I think, you know, technology and, um, you know, the hours that people are working and the, the, the hustle and bustle mindset, you know, I live in the city. So I, I personally um, can attest to the fact that there's this you know, sleep when you're dead mentality. And, you know, more is always better. We're now doing these exercises that are 
CrossFit and, you know, HIIT workouts and everything's intense, right? We've got these, these forms of stress, not only just, uh, you know, psychologically, but now we're adding on a lot more physical stress to these. Um, and then there's also the genetic component to it. So, you know, your, your gut microbiome is actually passed down from, you know, the maternal side of, of things when you're born, your gut microbiome will, you know, resemble somewhat of your, your mother's. And so what she did and, you know, what her mom did, those things do also play a role as well. So there's so many different theories, I think, out there, but the big ones that I think are the medications, the stress, and, um, and, and then also, of course, the food that we're eating and the quality of the food that we're eating and the amount of it. You talked about the HIIT workouts and the intensity of our workouts, um, you know, and people doing hot yoga for, for 90 minutes. And I, and I found out they don't even do hot yoga in India. Like they're like, <laughs> what, what do you what are you Americans doing over there? Yeah. Um, and you talk about how it can be stressful. Can you say more to that? And 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 if it is too stressful for our gut biome, what type of movement or exercise or activity should we be engaging in? that isn't as stressful uh, on our, our gut biome? Excellent question. And I've done a lot of research on this because of the fact that I do work with a lot of athletes and a lot of athletes who have digestive issues. So the research shows that, that exercise has a very positive impact on the gut microbiome. That's great. We know that some exercise is really good for the gut. But there is a point of that exercise becoming too much that we actually have seen in research, the gut microbiome goes in the opposite direction. And we see that it can increase inflammation. It can, you know, start to deplete certain nutrients due to chronic inflammation. And it can also impact your mental health because when the gut's inflamed, the brain is inflamed. And so there's, there's a, there's a, a middle point here. It's like the Goldilocks mindset. I like to talk about, you got to find the middle where it's just right. So I recommend a combination of um, high intensity and low intensity exercise, but this depends on the person. So let me give you an example. So say Leo, you're a, you know, CEO, entrepreneur, you've got a really stressful life, you know, maybe you've got kids at home and, you know, you're trying to juggle that and maybe you've got relationships that are really stressful. Um, If you came into my office, I'd say, all right, let's start with some low intensity exercise. Let's scale back on the high intensity exercise because you have enough stress in your life that adding in stress from from exercise might actually be counterproductive. Now, if I have someone who comes in, they are like, you know, just they've got, they're single, they've got no obligations, they're out of their college debt, they you know, don't have digestive issues, then we want a good balance, right? We want a good balance of this high intensity. We want to challenge your body, really stress it out a little bit in, in combination with that low intensity exercise, giving enough time for recovery for the muscles and the digestive tract. So very individualized, but the, the light intensity activities that we know really help with gut health, especially in people that do struggle with gut health are things like yoga, walking, um, you know, Pilates can be a really great form of exercise. And these forms that I'm mentioning are good because they're not increasing cortisol levels. So cortisol is that stress hormone, right? We, we, we actually like cortisol to some extent. We want it to be high in the morning. We want it to be high. Sometimes it it helps us in terms of productivity, 
but if it's high all the time, then we actually start to see inflammation in the gut. And so we want to create less of these cortisol producing activities like high cardio, any sort of high cardiovascular activity, running, high intensity interval training, um, you know, stair climbing, all those things. Those are cortisol increasing activities. So, so the light ones are really good for people with gut issues that are trying to heal their digestive tract or have a lot of stress in life. Um, and the other ones are good for people that have the room for it in their health plan. I love that. I just read somewhere that uh, it's better to exercise in the morning on an empty stomach. Uh, is that coincide with you know what you've studied? So I, this is a, an area that um, I work with a lot of clients on because most people come to me and they don't like to eat before they work out. And, and I get that, right? Because you go into a workout and you, you don't want to feel heavy. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to get on a, go for a run and, you know, have your breakfast come back up. That's not pleasant, obviously. But there are a lot of benefits to eating before a workout. And I'm, I'm a personal trainer too. So this is something that is very much within my scope of practice. But eating prior to a workout, um, it's very, this again is, everything's always individualized, but I'll give you a few examples. Um, if you're doing just a short bout of cardiovascular activity um, and your hormones are really balanced, your gut's really healthy, um, you know, overall the health picture looks pretty good on an individual, I'm okay with them doing a little bit of fasted cardio. I'm okay with that. Now, if someone's looking to increase their performance, if they're looking for muscle mass gain, if they're looking to optimize fat loss, um, especially if they're a female, females are very susceptible to fasted workouts from a negative perspective. So um, in those cases, I like to get something in that tank. And the reason for that, this, this really comes back to cortisol, um, is that you wake up in a fasted state. And we know that fasting is definitely good for certain populations. Now, if you're, again, looking to increase muscle size and performance, um, some people can really benefit in, in terms of fat burning even from having some fuel before that workout, right? Because you're going into the gym to lift weights, you're probably going to be able to lift heavier weights if you have something in your tank. So, so yes, there are certain people that can work out fasted and you know can actually see benefits from it, but there are certain people that can't. And, and a lot of times females are the ones that struggle the most because female hormones can get thrown off by the cortisol increase from a fasted workout um, and, and see less fat burning actually. So it, it really depends on the person, but um, if you're an athlete and you're trying to improve performance, you should really ideally be fueling before a workout. You know, that's interesting because Michelle, my girlfriend, uh, her trainer said that she needs to uh, put something into the tank before because she likes to work out first thing in the morning. Mm. And she said it's made such a difference in her gains mm. uh, and, and her energy level. So it, it definitely coincides with, uh, with her experience. And, and for me, I'm the exact opposite. I love to, um, I don't really work out the way she does. I do more mobility stuff in the morning. So for me to, to put something in a tank, it, I don't really need it for the type of mobility work that I, I typically do. So um, yeah. I appreciate you uh, differentiating um, when and when, uh, when and when you shouldn't, um, you know, uh, put something in a tank before the workout. Absolutely. The, you know, one of the things that people struggle with too is this whole like eating before bed, two, three hours, four hours. 
um, it, you know, to optimize sleep. What has been your experience in terms of uh, when is a good time to stop eating? What should we have for dinner? That kind of thing. Mm. So I'm always going to say this depends, but more often than not, what I see in my practice is I see clients coming in and, and their, their meals are pretty light in the first half of the day, and they're pretty heavy in the second half of the day. And my philosophy, and part, part of this is, is based on science, part of it is just based on you know, knowing about the human physiology is you know, we wake up, we have this exposure to the sun, we release certain hormones, we release cortisol, our metabolisms are higher, we're more insulin sensitive. So what I like clients to do is I like them to really focus on getting a good chunk of their calories in the first half of the day. And, and so when I see people not doing this, I often see them overeating later in the day and later at night. And typically they're not overeating, you know, kale salads. They're overeating things like chips and cookies and, you know, snacking because they didn't fuel during the day. Right. So they get to that point and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm starving. They start eating a few chips while they're watching TV. And before you know it, it's 10 o'clock and they've consumed, you know, 2000 calories in the second half of the day. So I don't have an issue with someone eating late at night. Like if you're having, you know, some yogurt with granola and some berries, like a really good protein complex carbohydrate snack, and, and it's going to help you sleep actually, because, you know, you don't want to go to bed hungry, but if you're going to have a little something, that's fine. Um, I do like to see a break for, for digestive purposes, especially like when I see people who struggle with digestion, I like to see a break during the night because we know that um, the gut has this migrating motor complex. And it, it, I like to explain it as this, um, this Zamboni that goes through in the middle of a, you know, a hockey game, right? It comes through, it clears all the debris that was there your gut has a similar mechanism. And so what happens when we sleep, right? So coming back to the hormone standpoint, we release melatonin. Melatonin starts to actually decrease our stomach acid, right? So stomach acid is meant to break down food and help us, you know, pull away some nutrients. So if naturally our melatonin is secreted, our digestive juices are going down, then it makes sense that we probably don't want to have the majority of our food later at night. So having a dinner, having a light snack before bed, I'm totally for that. What I don't like to see when someone is struggling health-wise is to see the majority of their calories coming from the second half of the day versus the earlier half of the day. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I appreciate that. And, and I realize, uh, you know, uh, the most important question I should have asked you earlier was, uh, what do you suggest that people eat before the workout? You know, specifically women. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a protein shake, a cottage cheese and an apple, what do you suggest? Yeah. So it depends on the activity. It depends how soon they're about to perform this activity. So um, if we're talking about female, especially, um, you know, everybody's digestive tract is very different. Um, when you go for a run, right, what's happening to your stomach? It's, it's jostling up and down. And if you go on a bike, you know, in comparison, you're not really moving around that much. You can probably tolerate a little bit maybe a little bit more fat, maybe, you know, some fruit or something like that. Um, if it's just cardio, you really just kind of want to focus on getting some quick carbohydrates. If you're getting really close to that workout, say you're 30 minutes out from your workout, 
Um, start with a few crackers, a few pretzels, maybe a small handful of dry cereal, something really simple and easy to digest, especially if you've never experimented with having anything before a workout. Start with really simple carbohydrates that have a little bit of salt on them, like some pretzels, that's going to help with electrolytes, and then start to experiment a little bit. So maybe maybe you try like a date or something, like a dried date for a little sweetness, some quick sugar, um, and then maybe you start to add in a little bit of fat to that meal as well. Um, that's for longer duration endurance exercises. Now, let's say you're just going in and you're trying to strength train. So you're strength training, so you're probably not going to be, we're not talking like interval training where you're jumping up and down, you're just going in to lift some weights. So if you're doing that, ideally we want to get some protein in there. We also want to get some carbohydrates in there. And there's good reason for that. We don't want to have any sort of muscle loss because especially if we're waking up first thing in the morning, we need to have protein in the system every three to four hours. So a little bit of protein in there and then also some carbohydrates. So that could be oatmeal and eggs. It could be some yogurt with some granola. It could be toast with, you know, some eggs. Um, those are some good protein uh, carbohydrate combinations. And, you know, how far you are out will usually depend on how much fat I recommend. So fat takes longer to digest. And if we want that source of fuel pretty quickly, we don't want to have too much fat in that meal. So, you know, if someone's going to be, you know, slathering peanut butter all over their, you know, toast, for instance, like we're talking three to four tablespoons right before a run, that might not sit very well because it's going to take a long time to digest. So usually we'll go more for a carbohydrate. But if you're, you know, an hour and a half out, you can add some more fat. The further you get out from the workout, I like to see adding a little bit more fats in there. So, you know, earlier we were talking about how inflammation and tolerances and how all that can affect mood. What's happening at a hormonal level? You know, I've read uh, different articles, and they seem to be saying different things about, uh, you know, some are saying mostly serotonin is produced in your stomach, and and uh, and then others are like, no, only a small percentage is produced, and, you know, that is kind of one of the feel-good drugs. So in those moments where we're having brain fog uh, because of what we ate, what's, what's taking place at a hormonal level? Mm, and that's a great question. I think there's a few different points here to mention. I think one point that you mentioned was the blood sugar issue. Um, so when you have these blood sugar, you know, ups and downs, that's just naturally going to make you feel kind of crappy, right? You're not going to feel high energy when that happens. And I think this is a reason why a lot of people feel better when they go a little bit lower in carbohydrates, higher in protein, higher in fiber, because that's a natural, like, you know, blood sugar response. From a gut perspective, Yes, there are certain neurotransmitters that are made in the gut. Serotonin is one of them. GABA, which is responsible for feelings of calmness and anxiety, um, dopamine, and melatonin as well. So melatonin is going to impact your sleep. Now, GABA, for instance, doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. So there's this you know, argument of, well, yes, it's produced in the gut, but it's not really even crossing over to the brain. But then there's research that suggests that even though there's a small amount of it and it's in the blood and not in the brain, it still could be exerting other effects in the body that could be impacting our mental health. But there's also the physical connection of the brain to the gut via the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is this just 
awesome, like incredible nerve. I like to think of it as like, think of like, you know, a basketball player palming a basketball and the elbow is where their brain is. And then where your fingers are, are where that nerve is basically touching all different areas of that digestive tract. So what's happening in the brain is, is talking to the gut and what's happening in the gut is talking to the brain. It's a bi-directional communication. So when you have any sort of stress going on in your gut or stress going on in your brain, there's that walkie-talkie signal right there saying, oh, we just ate something that's not so good, signals to your brain, hey, like something's going on, we don't like it, and vice versa. So there's the neurotransmitter side of things, there's the vagus nerve side of things, and then there's just general inflammation, right? So there's inflammation if you, if you like, you know, if you have a fever, right, you don't feel good. Like you don't feel mentally good. You don't feel high energy. Your body is in a state of stress. It's in a state of inflammation. Um, you just don't physically feel well when, when there's inflammation in the body, it's impacting the brain. So those are the main ways of which, um, you know, the gut can create symptoms like, like foggy mood. And, and it's all, all of it's connected. We don't have a clear, uh, you know, example in research to say this is exactly why, but there's so many reasons why. Like, there's so many reasons why that, regardless of which exact reason it is, it, it's still important. Uh, I, I love that. So, basically, it sounds like what you're saying is that if I'm like ruminating or obsessing over a thing, stressing myself out mentally, that has an effect on my gut biome. And, and you know, depending on what I ate, that could affect then what I'm ruminating and obsessing on as, you know, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, how I notice how like processed sugars uh, seem somehow seem to trigger like suicidal thoughts and, and other, um, you know, anxiety and, and mood and, you know, all these different other emotions. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really want to be sensitive to this because I work with a lot of clients who, when I start to explain this, they'll say, oh, so, you know, it's all in my head or they'll go to a doctor and the doctor will say, well, you just need to do yoga and relax more. And it's like, oh my gosh, you see those memes and you're like, when someone tells someone with anxiety to just relax, like that's how it feels, right? It's like, oh, so you're just telling me that I need to relax and there goes all my problems when, you know, that is so, it's, it's really disheartening for the client, um, you know, and I've, I've been this client before right when the people are just saying oh well let's just try an antidepressant and then that makes you feel like it's just all in your head so it's a chicken or the egg situation where you can you can and you the research actually shows us that people that are that have gut issues are more predisposed to mental health issues and eating disorders because then we create this relationship with food where there's maybe some fear around how the food's making you feel. Um, you know, maybe you are predisposed to mental health because you just didn't have an ideal gut microbiome growing up. Maybe you were bottle fed versus breastfed. Maybe you've been on a host of antibiotics. Maybe you've been on the standard American diet. Like there's, there's so many different things that contribute to it. So I always really want to stress that it's not just all in your head. Like, your thoughts and your feelings and things like that can play a role, but, but remember that like, you know, this is not something that you're just making up. Your symptoms are very real and there is something that can be done to help you assist in that process. You know, you brought up insulin and blood sugar 
And I just read the book, uh, The Obesity Code, and he was discussing how uh, insulin on some levels acts independent of blood sugar. And that's uh, been, and that's the main cause of obesity, which is why like somebody who could have stable blood sugars might find themselves uh, still gaining weight. Can you talk to us about the relationship between insulin and, and blood sugar? Uh, because, you know, as we know, so many people are struggling with diabetes and, um, and sugar addiction uh, in this country. And um, yeah, I'll just, yeah, I'll just throw that yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a, a very interesting topic. And, um, you know, we, we've gone through these phases in our society of, oh, fats are bad, carbs are bad, this is bad. Um, I think, you know, a big part of it is is the fats that, that Americans eat, right? And we don't talk about how those can influence our, our blood sugar and our insulin um, because it, it's a very complex thing. It's, it's not just carbs. It's not just sugar. Um, it's definitely a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, um, but I think that, you know, what is insulin, right? Insulin is the hormone that brings the, the blood, the sugar into the cells. It brings it into our cells so that it can be stored. Um, so if insulin's not doing its job, then your blood sugar is remaining high and that can cause a host of different issues like heart disease, diabetes, um, you know, all types of things that we don't want to see. So when it comes to balancing blood sugar, I really like to focus on balancing meals, um, protein and fiber are two very important components um, and some carbohydrates, right? We don't want to just completely like, you know, some people really like the keto low carb diet. That's great. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but I think a lot of people think that that's the only way to manage their blood sugar or their insulin, which is actually not true. And when you learn to balance a plate that has fiber and protein in combination with the carbohydrates, uh, we can balance our blood sugar really well. And then we can also bring physical activity into that conversation. So physical activity, especially resistance training, makes you more insulin, insulin sensitive. So insulin sensitive, meaning your body responds um, very well to carbohydrate consumption or protein consumption, both of which stimulate insulin. So for instance, po post-exercise, there's a reason why we suggest really get some carbohydrates in, some protein in here, because that's gonna, your, your muscles are primed to just soak up that, that, um, that blood sugar. So it's really gonna be a positive thing. So it's important to keep in mind, I really like to stress that balanced mindset. Um, I, don't, I think that people, you know, especially as a dietitian, they say, oh, she's gonna tell me to cut this and cut that. What I focus on with clients is what can we add in? So if you're having pasta for lunch and you know, a, a sandwich for dinner and you've got like, you know, these meals that are highly processed, I'm not gonna say, you know, start making kale salads and you know, eating vegan, like absolutely not. I'm gonna say, okay, let's add some spinach to your sandwich and have you know, some carrots on the side or some cucumbers on the side. Let's take that pasta, let's add some chicken to it for some protein. Let's add some broccoli to it for some veggies. And when we have the balance of those meals, the body responds in such a much more balanced manner. I love that idea of balance. And, um, you know, it's like, let's add in. When I'm working with my clients, I, I think the same thing also, because I, I think a lot of us, you know, we think we have to make such drastic changes, mm. make a change. And 
we don't realize how small, like just how we're just off just a little bit, you know, just you add a little bit of, of spinach and now you have a complete meal. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, in regards to eating disorders and, you know, what were them talking about anorexia, bulimia? Have you found like a common thread across uh, all eating disorders or is it in the individual specific to the eating disorder? So are you referring, I will speak to it in terms of digestion. Um, I work with a lot of clients who have digestive issues. And what I see a lot of is, um, I mean, eating disorders significantly impact your gastrointestinal tract and vice versa. So um, a lot of people that I see are under fueling. A lot of them are females, um, just not eating the right food for their body. And this can just wreak havoc on your gut microbiome. And we have plenty of research to support that. We see that anorexia nervosa completely alters the composition of your gut bacteria, making it less diverse and more prone to food sensitivities and inflammation and mood disorders. So it's like a, you know, just a domino effect of negative things. Um, and it takes some time for that gut to catch up as you start to fuel your body and become more diverse. And then we have constipation. So if you're under fueling, you're going to be constipated, right? You're not, if you're not putting it in, it's not going to be coming out. I, I always say that over and over again, if you're not putting it in, it's not coming out. Um, and then we have other things like, you know, binge eating and um, bulimia, those types of things, you know, there's plenty of other GI issues that come along with that. Um, you know, this is a mental health condition, right? So the eating disorders are a mental health condition. There's a lot of shame associated with them. Um, you know, it, yes, it's females that I mostly work with. I also see males with eating disorders. Um, so it, it's it, the, the treatment is really individualized. Like it really needs to be individualized because I always talk about root cause medicine. So if somebody is coming to me and they have an eating disorder because they've had digestive issues prior and they actually develop that eating disorder because they're afraid to eat because it's going to make them sick, that's one thing. If their you know, eating disorder comes from you know, trying to have a sense of control and trauma through childhood and you know, that person needs to see a therapist. So it's really important to address each person with an eating disorder individually because, you know, it's not like, a, oh, you have an eating disorder. Here, just eat three balanced meals a day, meet your calories, you'll be fine. Like, no, weight restoration is part of, you know, anorexia, but that's, that's, a, it's, that's like giving someone with mental health, like, the, the advice to just relax. That's how I see it. Like, it's just not appropriate. It needs to be very individualized. What's been your journey? Uh, I, I read that, you know, you, you got into all this because you yourself have struggled with gastrointestinal issues. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, from a very young age, had pretty bad digestive issues. Um, my, my mom is lactose intolerant. And when I was a baby, I was having, you know, really bad digestive issues. And so they, they said, oh, she's probably lactose intolerant too. And, you know, I, I just remember so much of my childhood was spent with horrible stomach pain. Guaranteed, was I eating very healthy? No, I was eating, you know, pizza and, you know, ice cream and things that, you know, what else is at a kid's birthday party? But I mean, I, I, my mom fed us pretty well, you know, I had a pretty good diet overall, but I, I always had stomach issues, like really bad pain. Um, really bad stomach issues. I was like losing weight all the time. Like I was not able to really maintain a good weight. 
Um, and then, you know, further down the line, you know, up to high school, I really struggled with mental health issues and, um, you know, started drinking and, um, you know, started engaging in behaviors that weren't supporting my mental health. And I surely was not eating in a way to support my mental health and also really struggled with orthorexia at that point and, and trying to control my food because I was afraid of, you know, the way that it would make me feel and maybe I'd feel sick. And so a whole host of different issues that really um, led me into this passion. But what ultimately helped me was a really working on the mental health component of it, you know, going to therapy, seeing someone talking about my struggles. And then number two was working with a holistic dietitian, just like what I am now, right? She was the like only person that sat down, looked at me as a whole person and we started the same exact plan that I work on with my clients, the 4R protocol, where we remove triggers, we make sure that you're meeting your um, energy needs, we use you know, certain probiotics and enzyme supplements to maybe support the GI tract, and then we re-inoculate re um, re and repair with certain herbs and um, maybe other supplements. And she was like literally a godsend for me. She was awesome. It was the only time in my life where I felt like somebody, somebody truly listened to me and my symptoms. And that's when I was able to heal my gut and, and my mental health just improved significantly. Like it was this day and night type of situation. And that's really what propelled me to get to where I am now. On the mental health side, you said you worked with a therapist. What were some of the um, skills, tools, or takeaways mm -hmm. that, that you practiced before or still practice today? Yeah, because it was funny. You said you saw a therapist, and I was like, I want to make sure that I say that I still see a therapist. I am a big, firm believer in therapy. Um, it's, it's just done wonderful things for me. Like I, I think it's so fantastic. Um, for me, a lot of my issues um, stemmed from fear, like a lot of fear from childhood traumas. Um, I had a family with mental health issues um, that I really struggled with. I lost him, my dad when I was in um, college. So there was a lot of fear based off of um, you know, my relationship with food. And so you know, my therapist and I, she does a lot of like meditations with me, like really kind of exploring different parts, like the inter, I think it's internal family systems where you have like the managerial part, you have the firefighter part. We just kind of explored these different like aspects of who I am. And um, some of those parts of me needed to be more present, um, you know, such as letting go of control of certain things, um, letting go of fear of certain things. Faith is something that is very important to me. You know, I have a very strong faith. Um, and so that's something that has also really helped me through this process and will continue to be a big part of my life for that reason. Um, but meditation, you know, she always does these meditations with me. Um, and, and sometimes just listening and validating some of my feelings and thoughts um, some of that was what I needed. And just to have this safe space that I could go to to talk to somebody um, was really great. And then the last thing that I'll say is Brene Brown's work. She she showed me Brene's, Brene Brown's work, like the gifts of imperfection. And, you know, I was able to explore a lot of my perfectionist mindset 
um, and some of the pressures I was putting on myself. And, and so that was also something that she introduced me to that has been tremendously helpful. Yeah. You mentioned letting go. Um, I hear that so much, you know, I take yoga and, and I listen to different meditations. How does one let go? Are we just opening our hands? Is it, is it about just sitting and meditating? Um, is there something that you do to, to let go or release outside of yoga and meditation? Mm. I think for me, letting go, it looks different in different situations, but I think, I think the faith part of this is really big for me. And I don't, I'm not, you know, the people that are listening, this doesn't mean you need to, you know, have a belief in, you know, one specific higher power, but I think this just overall sense of knowing that a lot of the things in my life are not in my control. And when I realize that, and when I trust that, you know, things will work out the way that they will, because any time that life has ever been really hard, um, you know, there's always been positives that I've been able to focus on outside of those, those really challenging times. And so I think that has given me hope, you know, anytime that I'm going through this period and, you know, trying to control things. And, and so I, I remind myself and I just say, you know, this is not something you can micromanage. And, and I like, just think of like a tight fist. Like anytime I think of like trying to control or like hold on to something or, you know, uh, the, the idea of letting go, I see as just like releasing the fist. You know, you just kind of release that fist, you take a deep breath and you, you just trust that everything's going to be okay. And uh, that doesn't happen overnight. That, that takes like mantras. You know, there's certain mantras that I, <laughs> I was doing yoga the other day and I just remember I, I listened to this mantra over and over again. It was just like, I am, I am well, I am happy, I am healthy. Like, it sounds so hippy dippy. And, you know, you t tell me this like 10 years ago that I'd be listening to this stuff, I would have in your face. But it, it really helps, like, just to kind of repeat these mantras over and over again, deep belly breathing, um, and doing things you enjoy, right? So, like, focusing on life and, and joy and, um, really trying to focus on on the positives as much as you can because there's a positive in anything if you really dig deep. Sometimes you have to dig like really deep down there, but um, there's usually always a positive that comes out of it. You mentioned Brene's Brown, Gifts of Imperfection. Are there any other books that you recommend for listeners? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I really liked Glennon Doyle's Untamed book, um, especially if you struggle with the, as a, as a female, especially, um, you know, if you struggle with, you know, I, ideal, you know, the, the female ideal version today. Um, I also really like uh, Gifts by the Sea. It's a, it's a short read. Um, it's, it's a memoir um, of a woman and she's just kind of away on vacation at the beach um, I really liked that one. And then um, what's the other one? The Four Agreements, is it? Is it where he uh, he goes on that voyage? Um, I don't know why I love that. I mean, I, I'm sure that it was like New York Times bestseller at some point, but I really liked it. I don't know. And, and actually, now that I think about it, I think the reason I liked it was because it wasn't like it was based on, I don't even remember what year it was based on, but it, right. It's a shepherd. He's going on a voyage. Like that's not something that would ever happen right now. So it, it, it completely got me outside of like my daily life. It was something so different from anything that I was experiencing, like 
from a real physical standpoint, but yet it was so relatable. And like, there were so many powerful messages that came out of it. I guess, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, I think that's why I loved it. I really liked that book. I absolutely love that book. I, I mean, I just, I, I just gobbled it up all up in the one sitting. Yeah. And I love that it, it wasn't, you know, some self-help books are just like, all right, you could have said this in 12 pages. Mm-hmm. It was short. It was to the point. There was a journey. There was a story. And you felt like you were going on a voyage. I think that some self-help books feel like they're yelling at you and telling you what to do. <laughs> and this one was just kind of like, you know, here's the journey. Here are the lessons learned uh, from the journey. So, yeah, I really love it. And it's, it's just simple. So. I think that's Uh, a really good point. Like you don't spend too much time. Like this is something I did and and this might work for some people, but like don't spend too much time reading and researching and doing all like the real work happens. Like when you, when you really establish that relationship with yourself and like, you know, therapy is great. Like sometimes you you're looking for these books and things like that. And that can be such precious time that you can be really checking you and, um, so find that balance, I guess, would be what I'm trying to say. Aaron, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you feel like would be uh, important for listeners to know in regards to gastrointestinal issues or mental health uh, issues or, or anything from your experience? Yeah, I mean, this might seem like a marketing plug for myself, but it's really not because it's not my main business. But um, I became a holistic cannabis practitioner because I'm so passionate about alternative medicine. And, um, you know, cannabis in general, CBD specifically, we're talking like even the non-THC containing product um, has been really helpful for not just me, but like a lot of my clients who come to me with, you know, GI issues and mental health conditions. Um, and so I want to just highlight that there are certain things out there like CBD, but also just foods too, like certain foods can, can really be healing. And I think we don't want to discount the impact that they can have. And just to motivate people too, um, you know, just a few hours of, of a dietary change can improve your gut health. Like if you started eating differently tomorrow in just one small way, like say you just added a vegetable to breakfast and dinner, just in that 24 hours, your gut microbiome, meaning your mental health, have already been one step closer to achieving better health. So I want to just really stress, do not try to do 3 million things. Do not try to be perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about doing multiple things, multiple good things consistently. It's not about being perfect. Um, but yeah, CBD oil has been, it was a huge, huge, um, benefit to me and my mental health from things like sleep and stress. Uh, and my clients have, has spoken wonders about it. So I would say, you know, don't ever, um, discount the, the wonders of holistic medicine and, um, food really is medicine. Food is medicine. Um, and I'll link to the different books that Aaron has talked about in the show notes and also uh, how you can reach out to her um, and her uh, rewired new, was it? Uh, uh, nutrition rewired. Nutrition rewired. Oh, God. Yes. I, I need an assistant. Um, <laughs> and I'll link to all that in the show notes. 
Uh, last question, Aaron, asks this of all my guests, because I always imagine one person listening in may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Aaron? Mm. I would say that even though you feel insignificant, maybe at that moment, that you are somehow contributing to so much on this earth. And this life is a gift, although days it might not feel like it, but your contribution to this life is, is so significant and it would be a disservice to not have you on this earth, truly. Thank you so much, Aaron Kenny. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK or the other millions of uh, numbers listed in the show notes. You can talk, you can text, you can chat. There's the Trevor Project. There's a link for domestic violence. They're all in all of the show notes. If you need a safety plan, that's also in the show notes. Uh, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you.